basically the economist projections are useless in my opinion in terms of rates specifically you might as well just watch the overnight index swap market you might as well watch the futures you know watch the federal reserve is far more important than the bank of canada if you want to know where canadian interest rates are going so you know this recession is going to be a tough one there's going to be much more unemployment uh you know, we saw almost three points of unemployment increase in the great recession and so i don't know if we're going to get that high in terms of unemployment but you know we should be looking at at least another point point and a half or more the most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today on the show, I have Rob McLister. Rob is the founder of MortgageLogic.News. It is the number one newsletter for mortgage brokers if you want to stay up on what's happening in the mortgage industry in Canada and well researched. Rob also writes for the Globe and Mail as well as has created some pretty cool services in the past that he has sold. In any case, today we talk about term selection, why the five-year fixed is probably a bad idea for most people. He talks about what he would recommend based on the current market. We talk about expectations on rates, sort of what's going on, how the market's pricing in some of these things. And just overall, it's a fantastic conversation. And I think you're really going to pick up a lot of nuggets from it. I also talked to Paul from Magenta about what's new at Magenta. Magenta is a mix that is one of the largest mix in Canada, and they have some fantastic products we have a great conversation. Before we jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform designed specifically for Canadians. It's really easy for borrowers to use and brokers. One of the cool things is that when the borrower is filling with the app, it's automatically figuring out what documents you need, which is called Smart Docs. Then when you get that application, you can go search Lender Spotlight, which is the most robust tool for searching rates and guidelines. And then when you go to hit submit, it actually pulls key data from the application called Smart Submission Notes so that your lender or your underwriter can help decide that file quicker. Check them out at lendescom slash Finmo and check out this conversation with Rob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to ILMB Live. Take got Rob McLister from MortgageLogics.News. He's been in the business for a long time, been involved in several things that you probably use on a daily basis that he's built and sold. It's kind of his thing. And most recently, he's running MortgageLogic.News, which is this awesome newsletter. We'll talk about that after. But Rob is a columnist for the Globe and Mail and just really smart when it comes to understanding interest rates and what's going on. So that's what I want to chat with Rob about. How's it going, Rob? Fantastic. Thanks for having me, Scott. So it's been a little while since we chatted. What are the things that you're noticing? What's changed since the last time we chatted? I guess that would be my first question. Well, interest rates are higher. Uh, there's that. <laughs> yeah, there's that. <laughs> uh, the housing uh, has get a little cheaper. I mean, the whole economy is slowing down. Mortgage business isn't really going gangbusters. Stress test rates higher. And what more bad news do you want? Yeah, it sounds awesome so far, man. I really feel like I should just go start drinking right now. It's like, you know, 10 o'clock where I am in the morning. Just kidding. So tell me about where do you think we're kind of headed with this? Do you think the next announcement, you think it's another rate hike? And where do you think it's going to be in this next announcement? You know, there's multiple rate hikes to come. And so, you know, where it all ends, I mean, <laughs> I'm the wrong guy to answer that. You know, the, only the big man in the sky can answer that question. But the good news is we're not going to take out the 1981 highs, 22.75% in prime rates. So we got that going for us. And then what's the market predicting? So I won't say what Rob is predicting, because I know that you watch the market via certain indicators. So what is the market sort of predicting or expecting for this next rate announcement? The market's looking for 200 base point increase from the Fed from here. That'd take the uh, Fed funds up to about 5.25 in Canada, you know, looking at about 125 basis points. So that would take us up to about four and a half. 
So there's going to be more pain to come, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, one year from now, fast forward a year from now, I think that we're in a better spot, assuming there's no black swan events, you know, Putin getting a little bit too big for his britches or China invading Taiwan, stuff like that. Uh, assuming no more catastrophes, then uh, we should be in a much better spot a year from now. Right. Okay. And then are you seeing like, because I was at the Benjamin Tall spoke at this conference and it was very interesting. And so he figured that for sure another half a rate point hike in this next one. And he was indicating anyway that anything over four, four and a half would be overcorrecting because it takes a while for it to actually go work its way into the economy and that we'd push us into a recession. Do you think that we are in a recession, going into a recession, you know, the R word? What are your thoughts on that? And what is the market? I guess I'll use that phrase instead of what does Rob think? We all can have an opinion, but you're looking at the market in terms of what are they sort of expecting for this idea of a recession? So first of all, I would say that economists said months ago that if we go over three and a half, we're going to be in a really bad spot. So they keep moving the goalposts and economists really know very little about where interest rates are going. We all do. No one can project six months out even where you know GDP or inflation uh, are going to be. So you know the market happens to be projecting a four and a half percent terminal rate or actually just a little bit below that. And so I think you see a lot of these economists gravitate to market pricing eventually. Basically, the economist projections are useless, in my opinion, in terms of rates specifically. You might as well just watch the overnight index swap market. You might as well watch the futures. You know, watch the Federal Reserve is far more important than the Bank of Canada if you want to know where Canadian interest rates are going. So, you know, this recession is going to be a tough one. There's going to be much more unemployment. Uh, we saw almost three points of unemployment increase in the Great Recession. And so I don't know if we're going to get that high in terms of unemployment, but, you know, we should be looking at at least another point, point and a half or more. Right, right. Yeah. And then what is the influence of wage inflation in this particular recession, which I mean, everyone's different, but that seems to be different than the last one where we had, you know, how does that affect things? Well, wages are catching up and they always take a little time to catch up. And so that's a problem because for one thing, it means that, you know, we're this peak inflation that everyone is hoping has happened could be drawn out a bit. And so, you know, I think that you're going to see wage inflation through the end of this year into the first quarter, at least. And that's going to keep pressure on interest rates. One of multiple things keeping pressure on interest rates. So, but once you get to the first quarter, then you have more favorable comparisons, month over month comparisons and CPI. And I think that's going to give people a little confidence because I think you're going to see the headline numbers come down a little bit. Let's hope the month over month start trending in the right direction. You know, it's great to have a headline number in inflation that comes down. But if your month over month is still, you know, 0.6 or 0.7, that's a problem. You want it to be around 0.2 if you want a 2%-ish target on inflation. So the policy of this 2% inflation target, which they've had for a long time, you think they'd ever change that and say like the band is now going to be three? Or do you think that they're going to always push to go back to that 2%? Is three the new two? You know how like 40 is the new 30? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that, you know, the 3% upper bound on the inflation target is going to stay where it is for a while. But they might be a little bit more tolerant once we start getting close to that 3% number, because by the time we get close to it, there's going to be some pretty significant damage in the employment market and the housing market and a bunch of other things, potentially in the financial system. And, you know, they're going to get in a spot, it's going to be a tricky spot where 
they might have to actually cut rates despite high inflation, you know, to keep some financial stability. It's really a weird, you know, paradoxical situation. And they're already in kind of an unusual spot because they started hiking too late. So, you know, usually uh, the Bank of Canada starts hiking before unemployment ticks higher, before CPI shoots way up. And that didn't happen this time. And so they're late. And when you're late to a fire, you got to use a lot more water. And, you know, the fire burns hotter and it burns for longer. And that's what we're dealing with now. So, you know, hopefully the fire dims down by the end of next year. But there's so many wild cards. You know, what's oil going to do? Oil goes over 100. Then we got problems. You know, that's going to freak out every central bank on earth. So, you know, let's hope that things play out like history suggests they usually play out. And that is, you know, like a two, uh, maybe three year rate hike cycle. And then we top out and then the market starts pricing and cuts. And starts adjusting again. And your most recent article, you talked about retention teams setting renewal traps. What do you mean by that? I know that's like spicy language, but well, not spicy, but explain that to me for somebody who doesn't understand what you're meaning by that. Yeah. So, I mean, rates have gone up so much and the cost of living has gone up and people's payments have gone up so much that it's harder to qualify for a mortgage. So, you know, the stress test is harder to pass. And so a lot more folks today are in a spot where, you know, they want to switch lenders for a better deal, but they can't because they can't qualify. They got great credit. They got provable income, yada, yada, but their debt ratio is a bit too high. So they're not going anywhere. And so you have lenders who are not stupid, who are looking at this and saying, hey, there's you know market risk, there's funding cost pressures, there's the fact that this customer of mine can't go anywhere. So you know, I don't want to say they're going to stick it to them, but they're certainly going to charge them a premium over you know what renewal borrowers were getting, say, you know, a year ago. Right, because they can't just walk across the street very easily because they got to requalify again. Do you think that that'll get reversed or that they'll change it? Or do you think that's like you're going to have to re- always requalify even on a switch transfer? I think that that policy will be changed. I think okay. it's too egregiously bad and too unjustified not to change it. Now, will it happen during this administration? I don't think so. Will it happen, you know, if maybe we get a new government in a few years? And very possibly. But, you know, I mean, if you're Austin watching this, there's no excuse for this policy. I know they have a lot of reasoning that not a lot, actually, a little uh, reasoning that they share with the public in terms of why this is the case. You know, they want to protect the new lender and whatnot and whatever. But there's no new risk to the system. We're talking about people here who have paid as agreed perfectly can, you know, basically meet every single other criteria other than this arbitrarily high stress test rate. And if you let them lock into a five-year fix, there's absolutely no risk to the system overall. And, you know, keep in mind, the new lender is underwriting these switch borrowers. So it's really a ridiculous policy. It never should have happened. It's an example of, I think, the regulators not consulting properly or sufficiently with the market. And then, you know, these regulators get baked into a corner and they're like, you know, hey, we made this decision. There's all the saving face argument, all that stuff. I think it's just, you gotta look at the overall health of the economy and the benefit to borrowers. And there's just no reason, if you're trying to pad a fall in a recession, for example, you gotta do what you can. And there's no reason to make otherwise well-qualified borrowers pay a lot more and leave less in their pocket to spend. Right. It makes a lot of sense, actually. And yeah, you're right. They made the decision. It's kind of like they didn't realize the ramifications of it. No, no, that was our choice. It's like, you know, that's your bedtime arbitrarily, even though it didn't make sense. Okay. So yeah, hopefully that gets reversed. Who knows if it will? What about amortizations? Do you see any 
I mean, you talk to a lot of people sort of in the know of this. Do you think that amortizations will get adjusted in any way, in any meaningful way? And if so, will it make any impact? Well, I mean, the typical amortization is incrementally increasing on the non-prime side. We're seeing more lenders extend to 35 years, some to 40. You know, for amortizations, you know, you've had unlimited amortizations, infinite amortizations for decades through a HELOC if you got 20% plus equity. But the problem is like, if you need that debt racial flexibility of an interest only payment, you know, you're not typically going to qualify very easily on the prime side. So, you know, these folks that are coming up for renewal that have variable rates that are triggered or, you know, adjustable rates or whatever, they're moving into a materially higher rate. I think that there, there's definitely discussions at a regulatory level on allowing extensions on amortizations on renewal. You know, I'm not sure how that's going to play out. We'll see. Uh, maybe there's something about it in December when OSFI announces its new minimum stress test rate. But uh, I know that there's talks about it. You know, the regulators are aware that, you know, like on the insured side, for example, if you go to your lender and say, hey, listen, I need to extend my payment. I'm in a bad spot. I'm going to miss payments. Can you work with me? You know, more often than not, if you're proactive and you're otherwise qualified and, you know, you paid as agreed, you know, the insurer will work with you on the bank side. You know, you can go to an RBC or TD or whatever, give them the same story. And, you know, there's a fair chance that they'll work with you if they think that, you know, there's a payment risk. So, the regulators know that. And so whether they actually codify it into a public facing policy, I don't know. But um, there's definitely a need for payment relief at renewal in the next 12 months. Right. You know, I was thinking about we're just talking about the retention is that um, having mortgages re underwritten on a switch is actually safer because you actually don't know if somebody just signs a paper and sends it back. You don't know if they're still working. You don't know. Like you're really not re underwriting the file. So in a way, it's actually safer if a person can be re-underwritten because they would have to at least qualify at the current rates and if they didn't add the, the stress test component to it. But at least you know they're still employed, you know that they haven't gone out and taken four truck loans, you know, on a quad loan and stuff. So it's actually safer, I think, to allow them to be able to do it rather than just saying, too bad, you know, get what you get. You say to my kids, yeah, you, get what you, get, you don't get upset. That's a good argument. And uh, full underwrite is preferable, I think, to just uh, signing a renewal letter. Now, obviously, the banks are monitoring property valuations every month in most cases. They're monitoring credit scores every month in most cases. You know, they have a bunch of data that they can triangulate to figure out, you know, roughly what kind of spot you're in financially. But yes, you're absolutely right. Full underwrite would, I think, add further safety to the system. Totally. What about term selection? So right now, if you are, you know, found your perfect house and the rates are higher, and how would you determine term selection right now? What would be some things you'd think about? Because I know that's something you've always been very strategic about, like even in this non-type of market. So I'm curious what you'd suggest or how you'd look at it. Yeah. So term selection, the one year fixed is going to perform best on rate simulations. If you think that the overnight index swaps market, which is kind of like the de facto uh, place to go to figure out where rates are going. If you think that OIS market is an accurate predictor of the future, then, you know, your one year fixed is the theoretical lowest cost of borrowing. Keep in mind, we're talking about well-qualified borrowers here only. I don't want to get into non-prime and stuff because it gets way too dicey. But for a well-qualified borrower, one year is the way to go on paper. Because markets pricing in a rate cut in Q4 of next year or the first quarter of 2024. Other than that, if you want to kind of manage risk a bit 
more, then you could look at a two-year, which isn't that much different in price, but gives you an extra year rate protection. And that could be important if inflation is sticky. So, you know, most people think that by 2024, inflation is going to be back near the 2% target. But what if it's not? What if it's, you know, above 3% for all these structural reasons that we're seeing and that just take a long time to unwind? Then the Bank of Canada could keep rates higher for longer. It might have to get more aggressive in the next 12 months. And so, that being said, if you have a two-year instead of a one-year, then your entry price is about the same, but you get that extra year protection. You know, the downside, obviously, is if you know we get this vicious recession uh, in the next 12 months or so, and or there's some type of financial crisis and the bank Canada has to cut rates. In that case, then you know, you'll see the prime rate drop quicker and mm-hmm. the one-year fixed, that's where you know, you'll benefit most. Right. Okay. It makes sense. And I saw recently the UN was asking the Fed to stop raising rates because it was affecting, did you see here this sort of third world countries or other economies? How does that work? Like, tell me like I'm 10. I think I understand it, but explain to me how the Fed keeping raising rates is actually affecting these other economies outside of the US. Yeah, I mean, that type of thing. First of all, the Fed looks at that and, you know, files that under, I don't really care. You know, yeah, they, I'm not saying I'm not saying they're gonna be like, oh, darn, you know, but in any case, I'm curious, why are they saying that? Or what's the ripple effect there? Yeah, you know, the Fed is on a very aggressive rate hike path, and that's been pushing up the US dollar, and that creates some challenges for, um, you know, these developing nations and whatnot. And I just think that, you know, that doesn't affect, you know, your average Canadian borrower, obviously, you know, we all want these less advantaged countries to do well, but we also want inflation to get back to target because there's going to be a lot of unemployed people domestically. Number one, I don't think that that's going to move the needle at all with central bankers. Number two, it doesn't really impact Canadian borrowers. Right. Okay. You probably saw the article come out recently on fraud or not the article, the CBC marketplace. And it's very interesting. If you had the you know magic wand to try and fix that, how would you do it? So if you're like, Rob, we're going to pay you a pile of money. We want you to fix fraud in the Canadian mortgage space. And you've got 30 days to do it. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't put that kind of timeline on you. What would be the things you'd put in place to try and reduce? You're never going to get rid of it completely, but to reduce it. Well, I think the one that's the most obvious is to get uh, digital income verification from CRA. And, you know, just a side note on that, after that marketplace story, I reached out to CRA and said, hey, listen, where are things at on this? Because, you know, it's a conversation in the industry for years. And so I'm waiting for a response. So far, it's taken about a week to get a response, but hopefully I get something good and hopefully it's constructive and hopefully it's something that uh, we're going to see some action on in the next 12 months. I know that there are a number of technology providers and banks who are also in touch with CRA on this topic. And, you know, it's a high profile issue within the industry. And so it needs to get to the political level to get some motivation. But let's see where CRA is at on this, because, you know, if you could get client consent through like ID.me or something like that and get instant verification of income and cross-checking, you know, tax records and stuff like that, that would go a long way to solving the problems that we're seeing. Yeah, I kind of, I agree with that. I think that if this story doesn't push them over, you're right, it's got to be a political thing. You got to get the right people just calling CRA, the person working, they're not going to change those policies. It's got to come from the top down. So that's interesting. So what other things are you kind of paying attention to right now in terms of like, you know, I always ask you this, if you were to watch one or two numbers, what are those things that you watch? Well, yeah, I mean, you look at the 
unemployment, all the usual suspects, unemployment, CPI, you know, oil, GDP, median home price. There's a lot of indicators you can watch. You know, realistically, unless you want to take up, you know, economics as a part-time profession, you know, all you have to really do is watch the forward market. You know, what are the overnight index swaps telling you today about where rates are going to be one year from now? Because they're taking all of that data and they're processing it and they're parsing it and they're coming up with a number. And that's, you know, as simple as you can make it. And so, you know, if you start looking at the individual numbers, there's just so much room for error. There's so much room for randomness. Like I said earlier, oil, you know, you around 85 bucks now, uh, you see that make a new high and we got a crisis, not just an right. inflation problem, but we got a crisis. And so, you know, we hope that doesn't happen, but yet the best you can do is take the market estimate for where things are going and hope for the best and hope that you don't get those black swans, which Carolyn Rogers of the Bank Canada says happen every few years now. So there these unbelievably rare events aren't so rare anymore. Doesn't sound as rare. Yeah. Okay. So anything else that I should have asked you about? This has been a great conversation, by the way. Thanks for coming in, sharing some of your knowledge. I know that we're just scratching the surface on kind of what's going on, but anything else I should have asked you? Well, we covered a lot of stuff, but uh, you know, a lot of people right now wonder if they should lock into a five-year fixed. And you know, you look back in history, and there's very, very, very few cases where at this point in the rate cycle, five years fixed made sense. Again, there's always the exception, right? One of them, 1978, prime rate, you know, almost tripled. You know, could prime rate triple again? Absolutely. Could we see a you know seven and a half percent prime rate? Absolutely. You can't rule it out until you have Federal Reserve saying to you that, hey, listen, you know, things are getting really dicey. I think we're going to slow down on the rate hikes from now. And when they say they're going to pause, that probably means that's the top. But we don't know when that's going to happen. So is a five-year fix appropriate right now uh, for someone who is, you know, very risk intolerant? Well, I would say, you know, number one, you got to look at their fallback plan, what kind of assets they have and whatnot. If it's a new buyer, why the hell are they buying if they're so risk intolerant at this point? So I would be uncomfortable recommending a five-year fixed for almost anyone. And, you know, if a customer absolutely demands it, then sure. If inflation, headline inflation hits 10% and interest rates go up to, you know, eight or 9%, then hopefully I'm retired by then and no one can blame me for this prediction, but I just don't believe that it's worth the risk to get in five-year fix right now. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's good advice. And then, so where can people find out about your mortgage logic.news? Although I think I just said it, but explain what it is and how it works. I know I've got a subscription to this and it's awesome. I love, you know, the, the content that you put out. So maybe can you explain that to people that are listening? Yeah, MortgageLogic.News is really uh, kind of uh, where I spend most of my time now. And so, you know, I try to write stuff that helps industry folks, particularly explain things to their clients better and, you know, provide them with fact-based decision-making and forecasts instead of, you know, just, I don't think rates going to go up or I think variables going to win because it always wins. And then, you know, secondly, we try to give people ideas. So right now, you know, a lot of people need ideas. Uh, the volume's down, depending on who you ask, anywhere from 30 to 50% year over year. And so, you know, you get one idea that helps you close a deal and generates another three, $4,000 of revenue, then we feel our job is done. And uh, mm -hmm. we try to put out multiple ideas per month and, you know, hopefully it's helping. Right, yeah. No, I know the people that I've talked to that are on it have had good feedback. So guys, you can go check it out. And Rob, thanks for coming to chat with me, man. I really appreciate it. And I always feel like I get a little bit smarter from our conversations. It's temporary smartness, but it's there and then it goes away. 
it'll be gone before lunchtime, you know, but this is awesome. And guys, again, check out Rob's newsletter. Always excited about anything that you put out, man. You're a smart dude. So we'll be talking again soon. Very kind. Thanks for having me, Scott. All right. Hopefully you picked up a couple ideas from that conversation or certainly were inspired to think smarter. Check out Rob's newsletter. It is fantastic. And I think it's required reading if you really want to be a mortgage broker in our industry. And uh, in this upcoming segment, I talked to Paul Campbell about what's happening with Magenta. Hey, Paul, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, how's it going, Scott? I'm fantastic, man. Great to chat with you again. I know that everybody, when the market kind of shifted, had to make some adjustments and you guys did. And so I'm excited to have you back on and find out what you guys are up to, what you're working on and kind of what's been happening. So tell me about what's kind of new with you guys at Magenta. Oh man, you know what? We are ultra excited to be back and to be connecting with all of our broker partners. The time off was well spent. I mean, we were able to kind of retool and, you know, figure out what we needed to do to ensure that something like this doesn't happen again to us. So Yeah, we're excited to be back. We've been working on some of our products now, you know, given the market that we're currently in, we have to make some adjustments, but we still offer our same product suite. We're a little bit more focused on credit. So, you know, if you've got that A and B credit, that's going to be kind of the sweet spot for us. If you've had a few blemishes and you've got that C credit, that's going to be a little bit of a challenge in terms of, you know, that type of business getting approved by Magenta at this point in time. But I mean, really just to kind of touch base, you know, we're still offering, like I said, all of our LTVs. Now on our 85% LTV product, we are looking at that product for full doc. So you got to have full documents in terms of uh, income documentation to be approved on that particular LTV. When you say full doc, so then how do you underwrite in terms of GDS, TDS, or so how does that look? I mean, I'm curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that's still the same. In terms of GDS, TDS, the TDS comes in at 55% and the GDS is at 45%. So, I mean, we're still flexible in that regard in terms of having the actual file adjudicated and approved like it was back in the day. But our risk tolerance around the various types of income verification, such as a no doc or even a stated income, isn't something that we're willing to entertain at this point. We're really just focused on, hey, you know what? You want to do 85% LTV? No problem. But we definitely want to see some income verification to substantiate. Right. Everybody in your space, in the mixed space, has had to make some adjustments to their underwriting guidelines because we're in a funky market right now. And so (laughs) it makes sense why, you know, you guys are looking at more things than in the past. So that's good. So you basically this 85%. So what other kind of products stuff are you guys seeing brokers gravitate towards now? You know what? It's still a very popular product for us is the Novak. Bar none probably our most popular product that we came across this year. And we still have it. We did make a minor adjustment to it. We were looking at up to 80% LTV. We've cut that back to 75%. As you've touched on, the market has dictated that, you know, our risk tolerance isn't as such as it was before. And not only for us, but for all of our partners. And we wanted to make sure that we were in line with that. So can you do a no doc with us? Absolutely. We still have the product and we're happy to service you with it just that our LTV has been reduced back to 75% LTV. Right. Again, that's just everybody has to make some adjustments in this current market. And one thing I was saying to you before we turn on the recorder is that I find with mortgage brokers, you know, if there's an opportunity, if a lender has a certain sort of niche, we're like how water levels itself and flows. And so what are you finding when you look at your book of business and what brokers are sending you right now? What are sort of the common themes that you're noticing? Because I think I always find for me, that's always been my little hack for figuring out, okay, 
what are you guys good at? And usually if I find out what lots of people are using with you, then I'm like, oh, okay, somebody else has probably figured out this is sort of, you know, your area. So give me a lowdown on that. You know, so in the early goings, what we've seen, and it's kind of been a hodgepodge because, you know, there's a lot of refis that we're seeing, people with great credit looking to refi. But what we've noticed is brokers have been trying to submit deals that are just a little bit tougher to get done. They've had a few challenges and like, hey, you're back. Why don't you try this one? I mean, that's great. We look at all the files, but right now it's still a little early to kind of identify what the theme is in terms of what specific products are coming to us. We are seeing, I would say, a good mix of refis and some no-doc, but a lot of refis right now. A lot of refis. Okay. Well, and I'll check in with you on that from time to time and see what you're noticing, because again, that tends to be a litmus test. So in terms of, so you guys had to pause a little bit. So tell me about that. So, I mean, can you talk to me about the pause that was temporary? And I'm curious. Yeah. You know what? The pause that we took, I mean, it was a small hiatus, but it was something that we needed to do. And, you know, in retrospect, I'm happy that we did what we did. It was a very professional thing to do. It was a lot of respect for our broker partners. They deserve it for the support that they provide to us. So, you know, we had to do the right thing. And the right thing was to ensure that every deal that we had in our pipeline funded. And we had no issues with that. You know, we had some fairly low rates at the time. And we made sure that all Canadians were in homes or all Canadians had the refis that they had been promised through Magenta. And I will say that as an organization, we're proud and we're happy that we were able to do the things that we did. Right. Yeah, I just followed through. I mean, it's one of those markets. And I was saying this before, I always feel like when these housing market shifts happen, it's like this great house party. Everybody's having fun. It's midnight, one in the morning, the music's bumping, and then the police show up and the music stops. And real estate always does this. It goes like, Ugh, and you know, it, it has a pause, and but it always comes back. Like real estate is inflation proof. You know, rents continue to rise. Personally, I think we're going to see a temporary dip in, you know, prices and depending on the markets, but I don't think that it's, you know, I read a stat recently that a third of all Canadians have a no mortgage on their home. So they're not going to be like, oh my gosh, I need to sell my house because it doesn't make any difference to them. There's going to be a segment of people that will be affected. But I think that yeah. the investors, I suspect, will be the first people back into the market because they're going to be like, wait a second, rates have gone up, prices are I'm better off five years from now than if I would have bought six months ago. And then the rest of the market will fall. I don't know when that is, but if mm -hmm. you follow the smart money, the smart money will be there first. And then all the rest of the people will follow in time. And so I think we're going to go through this cycle and we'll see what happens. But I'm very optimistic on real estate in the long term, but that doesn't mean we don't have short term inflection points that we go down. But that's just my two bits. Anyway. Yeah, I think we did enter a slight area of uncertainty. And we saw that with some of the appraisals coming in with you know lower values than what some people had anticipated. And you know, to our credit, we kind of saw the trees through the forest in this one, you know, we're on the fringe of the GTA. And I think the GTA has got hit the hardest in terms of having values not come in. And that didn't really affect us in terms of our book because we're not there. So for us on a go forward basis, we're excited because this is an opportunity for us to get back into the market at the right time. And like you said, real estate has a way of just kind of always bouncing back. <laughs> you just, yeah. it's unpredictable when, don't but, bet against I mean, it. Don't bet against real estate. No. People who've been no, sitting I mean, waiting for house prices to go down in the GTA for the last 10 years. And what do we go back to prices from 2019? Like, you yeah. know, historically, we're still way up. So I, I still am bullish on real estate in the long term. But in any case, one of my friends said recently, he's like, you know, the stock market's the only store in town that when everything goes on sale, everybody runs from the store. You know, it's kind of like the prices when everybody wants to get out. Real estate's the same, right? Like real estate market, 
goes on sale and people are like, Oh my gosh, I don't want to buy it on sale. It's like, no, you do. Like you do exactly. It's <laughs> some so weird thinking. Yeah. It's, it always but, goes but up. because we follow the crowd is the problem. And in any case, okay. So anything else that you're noticing that since you guys have never come back into the space that, you know, our listeners would be useful for them to know. I would say that in the short time that we've been back, it's just been over a week, almost two weeks now. I would say the support from the broker community has been bar none, the best thing that I've seen in a long time. Just everyone rooting for Magenta and really wanting us to provide that option and provide that lending space that we were in before. It's like a warm welcome. So, you know, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank everybody, including yourself, Scott, for allowing me to have this platform and to share all things Magenta and really just promote, you know, us being able to help Canadians. It's really just, it is heartwarming and it makes me feel good to do this. It's great to have you back at the house party, man. You guys brought a keg. Yeah. <laughs> we got a keg. Magenta's back. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm... We need someone to look out for the cops, though. That's for sure. Yeah, somebody's got to keep an eye out for those cops. And Ron Butler, he's going to come cause trouble because that's what he does. You know, we love Ron, but he's going to cause trouble. All right, man. So if you guys are listening to this, I would encourage you to go check out Magenta. And you can send them an email, broker at magentainvestment.ca. There's no S in investment, right? Just Magenta Investment. I know that borrowers right now need more options, need more solutions. You guys have solutions and yeah, reach out to you guys, reach out to Paul, your team, and they can help you figure out, you know, if there's something they can do to help you out. And yeah, I'm always excited to hear what you guys are up to. Thanks Paul for coming to chat with me. Thanks for having me, Scott. All right. Hopefully you got a couple ideas from these conversations with Rob and Paul and the whole idea is to help continue to level up your game. You got to be smart and you've got to invest in being the source of information and wisdom for your clients. Another thing you can do is go check out ilovemortgagebrokering.com. We have a free power search tool that allows you to keyword search all of our past episodes. I will tell you though, that if you don't put it on full screen mode, it's not going to work as well. So the tool is very robust, but it does not work if you're not full screen because you'll miss all of the search results or you certainly won't see them all. So do that. Check it out. It's totally free. And thanks again for checking out this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.